Hi, I'm 24 years old. I was born a white, lower, middle-class male off the coast of Washington State. My parents owned a compact stereo component system molded in simulated wood grain casing and a record box set featuring AM radios, contemporary hits of the early 70s called Good Vibrations by Ronco. It had such hits as Tony Orlando and Don's, Tie a Yellow Ribbon and Jim Crochet's Time in a Bottle. After years of my begging, they finally brought me a tin drum set with paper heads out of the back of a Sears catalog. Within the first week, my sister poked holes in the heads with a screwdriver. I cried to Seasons in the Sun. My mother played a song by Chicago on our piano. I don't remember the name of the song, but I'll never forget the melody. My aunt gave me a blue Hawaiian slide guitar and amp for my seventh birthday. She also, during those first precious years, had given me the first three Beatles albums, for which I am forever grateful, knowing that my musical development would have probably come to a halt if I had to soak up one more year of The Carpenters and Olivia Newton-John. In 1976, I found out that the Beatles had been broken up since 71. My parents got a divorce, so I moved in with my dad in a trailer in an even smaller logging community. My dad's friends talked him into joining the Columbia Record Club, and soon records showed up at my trailer almost once a week, accumulating quite a large collection by 71. Journals by Kurt Cobain Kurt Cobain was born in Aberdeen, Washington State. Hyperactive as a youngster, he was given Ritalin to help him concentrate in school and sedatives to help him sleep at night. At the age of seven, his parents got divorced. He became so difficult to live with that his parents sent him to live with relatives. This period in his life is reflected in songs such as Sliver. With a dislike for school, Cobain spent his time painting and singing. Later, he was a roadie for a Seattle group called the Melvins. He dropped out of high school a few weeks before graduation to get a job, but his efforts were unsuccessful because he couldn't hold a job for very long. In 1986, the group Nirvana was formed with Cobain on vocals and guitar, Chris Novoselic on bass guitar, and various drummers. Their first album, Bleach, was released in 1989. They toured the U.S. and had their first international concert in Newcastle, England. Their second single was unsuccessful, so they changed record companies. After signing with Geffen Records in 1991 and adding permanent drummer Dave Grohl, they produced their second album, Nevermind, which received rave reviews with the hits Smells Like Teen Spirit, Come As You Are, and Lithium. Their popularity grew after the group made appearances on MTV's Headbangers Ball and NBC's Saturday Night Live. The success of their band was intimidating to Cobain, who had liked the intimate settings of nightclubs. It was the money that guided them to do concerts and shows in the rock room. It was in the early 90s that Cobain began doing heavy drugs, such as morphine and heroin. But in 1992, his personal life brightened as he married Courtney Love in Hawaii and their union brought a daughter, Frances B. With a wife and daughter, Cobain calmed down a bit, and then the group released Incesticide. Things took a turn for the worse in 1993 when Cobain overdosed on heroin. After seeking rehabilitation for a time in the center, he left without completing the program. During this time, the band played on. In 1993, the band released In Utero, their last studio recorded album. Nirvana played an MTV Unplugged concert and a concert in Munich in 1994. One week after the concert in Munich, Kurt Cobain was hospitalized in a coma. After waking up and leaving voluntarily, he was reported missing, 
and was found three days later in his house, dead of a gunshot wound. Over the next two decades, Cobain's legend only grew, thanks in part to posthumous Nirvana recordings. The live albums MTV Unplugged in New York and from the Muddy Banks of Wishkaw appeared in 1994 and 1996. Two years later, the Rarities and Outtakes box with the Lights Out saw release, and that was the last major archival release until 2015, when Brett Morgan directed the documentary Montage of Heck. The film was accompanied by the release of a soundtrack album containing home recordings and demos by Cobain. The film was accompanied by the release of a soundtrack album containing home recordings and demos by Cobain. It was the first ever album to be credited to Cobain alone. Sourced from Kurt Cobain's Apple Music bio. This analysis of the psychology of Kurt Cobain was given by Victoria Fong. As a child, Cobain was diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, ADHD, primarily after pulling many dangerous stunts, like jumping off rooftops and intimidation of Hollywood stunt actors. And apparently, he was often distracted and spoke rapidly. Consequently, he would be put on Ritalin, methylphenidate, which is a nervous system drug stimulant that is clinically reported to produce side effects including difficulty sleeping, nausea, headaches, lack of hunger leading to weight loss, and dry mouth. Even though Cobain presented symptoms of clinical ADHD, his behavior as a child may not have necessarily been deemed abnormal or hyperactive if it hadn't entailed potentially dangerous consequences or if he was raised in a different environment. However, Cobain may have had a genetic predisposition to bipolar disorder and drug addictions. Still, environmental cues often initiate and enforce these disorders. As accounted by his cousin, many members of Cobain's family, predominantly the males, suffered from depression, alcohol abuse, and drug addictions. However, there were uncontrollable factors in his home environment that could have attributed to his mental breakdown. After his parents divorced, he never truly had a stable family environment. Both his parents would remarry, and his father reportedly spent more time raising his new family, which further added to Cobain's resentment. Neither of his parents wanted to deal with the difficult child, and he was frequently shuffled between his family and his friends. His mother would eventually kick him out of the house. Needless to say, his anger and rebellious behavior were a reflection of how he felt towards his parents for not giving him the love and attention that any child needed to thrive. To add fuel to the pain, Cobain's initial addiction to heroin was a way to ease stomach ulcers, which may have even been a side effect of the Ritalin. To add fuel to the pain, Cobain's initial addiction to heroin was a way to ease stomach ulcers, which may have even been a side effect of the Ritalin he was forced to take as a child, as well as a buildup of stress caused by all fronts of his life. Um, wow. I grew up in a household that would play Nirvana all the time. That's what I grew up listening to. But I must say, like, I had no clue the depth and complexity of his mental health issues. I just only heard about drug addiction problems myself. Yeah, it was a huge deal in the media when Kurt Cobain died. Um, he had actually overdosed on heroin laced with fentanyl just a year before he committed suicide. Um, but a lot of the reasons that he turned to using drugs was an attempt to self-medicate, especially since he had such bad experiences with like Ritalin as a child. Mm -hmm. He was very anti-psychology, anti, you know, getting help. Um, and it's really ironic because his cousin is actually a very, very talented psychologist now. And mm -hmm. her, yeah, her mission is pretty much to just educate about not self-medicating. So obviously he had many mental illness problems. So I'm wondering 
I'm sure that affected his music in some way. Are there any songs that might showcase how his deteriorating mental state affected his art? Definitely. So Nirvana was a group effort of three guys. Of course, it's Dave, it's Chris, and it's Kurt. However, Kurt wrote almost every single Nirvana song out there. So you can definitely see throughout the albums how Kurt gets slightly darker, especially because Bleach mostly discusses, you know, kind of anti-authority, anti-establishment, but a positive message. Of course, um, Nevermind went so crazy big because Smells Like Teen Spirit was kind of like a pump-up song in a lot of ways, and a lot of the songs off of Nevermind were able to be played on the radio and get other people involved. However, in, in Utero, their last studio album, everything kind of took a really dark turn, and a lot of the content was dark. However, it was still able to be listened to very widely. Um, when Kurt went home after the recording of that, he started to write a lot of pieces that were really, really painful to listen to just because you can tell he was not sober and not in a good mental state. So I'm going to play you a song called Dumb, which was off of In Utero, their third studio album. And then I'm going to play you a song called Beans by Kurt that he wrote just a few days after and recorded in his house. So let's give it a listen. Well, it's definitely a good song from what I've from what I heard in that short bit, but it doesn't seem super dark. So is that kind of before he progressed into a darker state? That song was it's towards uh, the end of In Utero, and a lot of the reasons that that song was like added to In Utero um, was just because. The record executives weren't going to let him put on an album strictly about abusive codependent relationships. Needed something a little happier to make it work. Exactly. He was struggling with his relationship with Courtney, even though it was originally a good spot for him. They both were very addicted to heavy drugs, so they both kind of dealt with that experience there. I see how you can find that song to be kind of like uplifting in a way, because the music kind of uh, presents it in like a happy way, but like the lyrics, they kind of show like his dark side he's like i'm dumb you know yeah and he feels dumb because he's feeling happy and it's also the the lyrics are i think i'm dumb or maybe just happy and it's also implied that that's about drugs okay so So when you think about it it gets a lot darker than it sounds yeah Yeah, he he was happy when he was on drugs Mm. and he always tried to you know self-medicate as i said now I'm going to play you a song called Beans. Um, and yes, this is Kurt singing and playing all of the instruments. And this was released posthumously. Um, yeah, he's playing. Oh, have you heard this before? Let's give it. Maybe, maybe. Let's just give it a listen. And who who is it that's post? Well, we can listen. It's can his, listen to it, it was first. his estate and like all of the record companies. And mm-hmm. actually, Courtney, um, after he passed away, Courtney wanted a third of Nirvana's like ownership. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she did not get it. We're not getting into the Courtney Love situation. She could have a whole episode dedicated to her. All right, so this is Beans by Kirk. So there's just a little teaser of so, that, and I know we're laughing at does, it. Yeah, I was about to say. Does, is this it, after like a mental break? Like, so. Okay, so 
Beans is about heroin use. I don't get how you make that in a That's, sober. I am, exactly. Isn't his son named Bean? Uh, her, his daughter, daughter? Francis. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> 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 okay. So, of course, Francis Bean was the na- legal name of his daughter, but that's just because Courtney and um, him thought she looked like a little bean. Um, this song is actually about heroin usage. Again, the lyrics are, Jesse ate some beans. He was happy, happy, happy. Um, the beans are, again, supposed oh. to be the heroin. Mm. Uh, but he was not sober when he wrote this, and it was not intended to come off as humorous because he was so, so high. It's he almost like think haunting, scary exactly. when you know the background. Exactly. So he's kind of aware of what this sounds like. He's not just you know going crazy saying beans. He really knows what he's talking about, at least what he's trying to get across here. He's aware not only that he's trying to be deep with this, which everyone says his lyrics don't always matter, and he actually said that a lot. He said his lyrics were just nonsense. and um, But everything he did was very intelligent. Even though he dropped out of high school, he was still intelligent. Um, and he definitely knew what he sounded like. I don't really think these were ever meant to be released. Um, and they are being released for a profit that is not going to him or Francis because Francis emancipated herself at 16. So dirty. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, looking back on uh, looking at this and looking at this whole album, which is just Kurt speaking nonsense. It's called montage of heck, the home recordings. It's just, could I, could I ask how you became such a big Nirvana fan? Yeah, of course. It's kind of a um, horrible story when I, think of it because I'm genuinely a poser I had a Nirvana t-shirt and I had never listened to a Nirvana song and my uncle one day asked me oh you're into Nirvana what is your favorite piece by them I didn't even know smells like teen spirit was a Nirvana song Mm. I just knew that it played at a sports game I went to once and then I added lithium to one of my playlists Mm -hmm. for the car and I fell in love with that song and At what age was this? This was around three years ago. Okay. But I got really heavily back into Nirvana starting around this school year. I just think their music is so fun to drive to, and I've been doing a lot of driving this year. Um, And I think their music is – you can put on one of their albums and just listen to it the whole way through just because it follows a very natural arc. Do we all want to go around and say our favorite songs real quick, see what they all are? All right, um, you want to go first? I'd say mine is Lithium. I think I'm, I've obviously heard Teen Spirit, and I haven't specifically been listening to Nirvana very much, but I have heard Heart Shaped Box a lot recently, just coming up in playlists, and that's definitely one of my favorites. Every once in a while, I'll have like a, a one or two month rock phase, and like a year ago, I had like a really strong Nirvana phase. And even though it's cliche and bandwagon, come as you are is still number one for me. That intro guitar riff just gets me Understandably, though. Yeah. Can't even. That's a very fun. I mean, you can't, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, My favorite song by them changes a lot. When it started, it was Lithium. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's definitely about a girl off Bleach, so one of their earlier pieces. Um, But again, like about a girl is about a toxic relationship. Like every single time he writes about a love song, it's usually about a toxic relationship. And every time he talks about being happy, it's usually about being on drugs. So, you know, growing up on this music, you might be like, wow, what was I listening to? Or you might just be like, he needed help and he didn't get it. But um, he wanted to make music that uplifted people even in like a dark way. It was the start of grunge, so Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I'm like excited. I'm gonna go back and listen through and like actually 
listen to the lyrics and everything behind it this time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Both I think do. I'll be we'll do it together. listening to it on the way home now that I'm kind of learn more about it. Interesting to pay more attention to what I'm listening to. Well, that's definitely what he wanted. He wanted everyone to pay attention and to be aware, even though he was not able to overcome his addiction. He did not support addiction at mm. all. And um, I think it's a great way to not romanticize mental health and addiction and see that it's okay to ask for help. Thank you for giving me space to share a little bit about one of my favorite artists. Thanks for sharing with yeah. us. It's really interesting. Loved for it. sure.